So I just got the privilege now of introducing Donna Bloomfield, a remarkable woman. Come up here, Donna. We absolutely love you, Donna. We love all that you do, all that you stand for. We, we're ready to learn so much from you. And so God bless you. Be released to be yourself. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Morning, everyone. Okay. Just let me get sorted. Ah. I've got my tissue at the ready <laughs> because um, I really want to share um, some quite raw things with you um, this morning from my own heart and some stuff that God has been doing in in my heart and the hearts of our, our team in Burundi. Um, so yeah, can we just pray? Father, we're here because of you, Lord. Lord, we love you. And Lord, I just ask now that we would have open hearts to you. And Lord, that you would come this morning, Lord, that you would do what you want to do, Lord God, in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I want to start with a little confession. <laughs> Two weeks ago, I got a phone call from Mark Thornett <laughs> here. I've, I'm living in the Isle of Wight now, and Mark rang me, and he'd just seen a program for this event. Or oh, I don't know if you'd just seen it, probably not. But you'd, you'd seen my name down to speak, and Mark says, Oh, I just thought I'd ring you, and I just felt prompted to ring you. And are you preparing? And I was like... <clears throat> And a couple of days before that, Jazz had sent me a, a message, Jazz Posser, and she said, I'm looking forward to hearing you speaking at the Hub. And I'd sent her back a whole load of emojis with smiling, laughing faces and t- saying, please tell me that's a joke. <laughs> and she said, um, she said oh, maybe it's, maybe it's changed. And so when Mark said that, I'm like, oh, no, and my heart sank, to be honest. And... Um, <laughs> And because I get so stressed about these things, which is ridiculous. Anyway, um, so I just said to I said to Mark, I don't think I can I can do it. You know, I felt like I'd been in a whirlwind last year, had been particularly challenging in Burundi, and then I'd moved here, and then I'd been back out in Burundi, and it had been a very demanding visit. I'm going to share some of that with you in a minute, and. Um, and I'd been ill over Christmas and I was kind of, you know, coughing away as I was talking to Mark and I just said, I don't think I can do it. And I'm not very good at saying no, so I was very proud of myself that I'd, <laughs> that I'd, that I'd managed to say no and Mark was very releasing. Thank you, Mark. He's like, no problem and emailed whoever he has to email. Anyway, the next morning I wake up um, early and there's a message from Steve. <laughs> Do I have to say any more? <laughs> and so he wasn't pressurizing, let me be fair. He was just like, he was just like, Donna, please reconsider. So here comes the confession. So you don't know this, Steve. So I then spent an hour writing a WhatsApp message and deleting it and writing it again and deleting it and it writes. Until I felt like maybe I'd kind of expressed that I di- it didn't matter that I didn't know I wasn't being stroppy, but it had just been a bit of a, you know. And actually, truth be known, I just felt so empty at that time. And when I'd spoken to Mark the night before, I'm just like I've got nothing to bring, you know. And 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 so I just felt really empty. Anyway, so I sent this message, and you know, hit send. And jumped in the shower. And as soon as I got in the shower, I just felt God said to me, embracing the poor and to share with you today just the story of uh, what God's been doing in, the, in our hearts in, in Burundi, particularly in the last visit. Um, because, yeah, he's been doing some deep things and so that is what I'm going to share with you today. But anyway, so I, I, I jumped out of the shower. I deleted the message to Steve. I don't even know if you saw it, did you? you know, <laughs> don't know. I don't know if he saw the original one. I'm like, I better come clean. So I'm like, sorry, I just sent you a message saying I couldn't do this. But actually, I feel that God's just put in my heart to share what God was doing with us. And I am going to share about Burundi, but it's not really about Burundi. It is about our hearts 
It's about how God sees us, which is very much a theme of this morning. And it's how God sees the poor. And I believe how God wants us to see the poor. And I'm not just talking about the materially poor. I'm talking about the um, the poor in every sense. And particularly, I just feel for today, those that feel marginalized, including... Um, those among us, you know, and it's easy to think this is a leaders' gathering and, you know, oh, we must all be sorted. But clearly from what comes, you know, thank you, Joseph, for that devotion this morning and then Megan's word and, you know, it's like God is speaking to us. So I think it all all fits together. So anyway, so I said to Steve, if I can go with what's on my heart, then um, I'll go for it. And he said he was willing to take the risk. So here we go. <laughs> So, um, I've got some um, pictures. So, as I say, I'm going to share about Burundi. I guess most of you know that I'm um, primarily involved in in Burundi, in East Africa, where we've been church planting for many years. And we now have a church. Praise God. And for all of those of you that have been praying for our battle with the government to get our license without paying bribes, after two years, we just got it before Christmas, so praise God. (laughs) We were a church before that, but it it, it helps us on a number of fronts. Anyway, that's not what I'm going to talk about today, but thank you for your prayers and your support in so many ways. So... Um, I just want to bring a bit of context. I know some of you know a bit of this, but I'm just going to share a little bit of our our journey um, in Burundi um, over these last few years. And I just want to pick up on a few key things, but I, I'm wanting to take us to um, to what God was doing in our hearts and he's still doing in me and in us. I feel a bit raw. That's why I've got my tissues here. I don't know what's going to happen today. Um, But, um, so I just want to, yeah, for those of you that don't know, I just want to give a little bit of context, and that will help, I hope, to make sense of of where we're going to end up. So, is there some? Ah, I can see over there. Cool. Okay, so, I've been involved in Burundi for a number of years, and in 2014, God really led us to a community of people in a place called Chirama, looks like Karama, but it's Chirama, who were known as the Forgotten people, um, living in absolute squalor, uh, with no water, no sanitation, no shelter, um, nothing. They were, and are, in it to a degree, um, oppressed by the government. So before um, myself and Everest, who we were working with at that time, met this community, they had been displaced, um, living informally, by the lake for eight or nine years and were not allowed to kind of be part of society because they were accused of being rebels. So at that time in Burundi, there'd been a a big natural disaster and it happened to coincide with the government moving this community from the lake, saying that they were at risk of of flooding and many people have been killed in flooding and so the government was like, you have to move away from the edge of the lake. So burn all their straw huts and put them on this piece of land in this community called Charama and put them there with armed guards patrolling um, the piece of land that they were on. It was tiny at that point there was over 2,000 people there, men, women and children and nobody was allowed to help them in any way because they were accused of being rebels so they were surviving by scavenging they were risking their lives to try and go out and beg to be able to survive some did manage to to get things but it was absolutely pitiful and uh, Everest who we were working with he'd heard about them on the on the radio and he said we have to go Donna so we went um to this community and uh this, I mean, you just can't capture it in, in photos. It was horrendous. It was absolutely bleak where, you know, people literally were trying to make shelters from anything they could find, bits of cardboard, bits of straw. Um, oh, just go back. Um, children were very malnourished. Some had died by the time that we found this community. And uh, I've never really seen anything like it. I've seen poverty before, but the thing that struck me 
was the bleakness and the hopelessness of this community with uh, people that just um, had no life in their eyes, no hope of anything ever changing. You know, I mean, as I say, kind of nine years at this point of being oppressed. So the children uh, there, many of them had never known kind of a life outside of this kind of captivity. And... Everest and I felt very strongly that we needed to send in food. As I say, people had died. People had died of starvation at this point. And so we had to ask permission of the authorities. Could we take food in? And we were told, no, if you take food in, you will be arrested. Um, But we felt God had sent us there. And so we arranged for food. And um, it was a little bit interesting, shall we say. But anyway, God kept us and... Uh, Everest was very wise in how he handled things. We didn't get arrested, but that was really our introduction uh, to, to this community that have now very much become our friends. Oops, sorry. Oops. Can't get my paper, sorry. <laughs> Bear with me. Okay. So, we sent in food... And there was just this strong sense that God was saying he'd sent us to this community. Now, at the same time, we happened to be involved in another community that had been devastated in this natural disaster. Um, Hundreds of people killed, lost homes and everything. And so we found ourselves in the midst of this overwhelming need and desperation in every in every sense so when we would uh, go into this community um, you know even when we'd taken food people would be grabbing hold of of my clothes and they would be pleading that, that we would help them and it's like what can we what can we do what can I do you know I'm just me there's thousands of people in at risk of death and who have no hope and I just remember getting before God in those, in those days and many times since and saying, God, are you who you say you are? You know, I was asking that question. I'm like, because if you are, then this has to change. But not knowing how that could ever happen, really. You know, not particularly feeling that I had a part to play in any sense, but just being like, God, you know... Uh, our salvation is dependent on us believing who God is, who he says he is. And yet, do we really take hold of the, the truth? And I remember being on my knees before God and pleading with God. And it's like, God, you have to do something for, for these people. And uh, many of you will know um, Angela Kem, amazing lady. And she's very much kind of mentored me over the years. And I remember her saying to me at, uh, at this point, she's like, Donna... Um, it's not these people, they're, they're your friends. And they are genuinely our friends. And then, they, they weren't our friends, we didn't know them. It was a mass of, of people in need. And I, I look back, actually, the other day at a crisis video we did through Regions Beyond because we, we launched a crisis appeal to be able to, to, to help uh, our friends. And, and I kind of shuddered a bit, actually, when I read it because I'd called them these people. And... For me, that was, I think that was a real start of God doing something deep in my heart where it's like, it's not these people that are separate and out there, you know? And it's like, even, even though they weren't genuinely my friends at the beginning, by calling them our friends, my friends, you see people differently. You know, you don't see them as this mass but you, you begin to see them more like God would, would see them. And, um, and I'm very conscious, you know, we have a, a charity that supports this work. And even, even trying to communicate there, I, you know, I use the, the words often, our friends. And I'm sure people must think that's a bit weird. Or, you know, you have a lot of friends or something. But actually we do. But it's, you know, it's a heart thing. So for me, that was a real, that was a real moment where God got hold of my heart. And I would say I've always had a heart for the poor and the, and the marginalized. But I'd kind of seen them as people to be helped, you know, rather than people made in the image of God, deeply, deeply loved. So um, we... Uh, for the next few years, and is this working? 
Hello? Have they gone to sleep? Aha. For the next few years, and in fact even now, uh, we continued to provide food uh, for this community and also helped in the other community. But today I want to focus on this community. We started to provide milk to children who were um, malnourished. We set up a simple school in one of the, the tents that you know nobody could leave the camp, but we put a teacher into to one of the tents and we... Um, we used money that was given through Regions Beyond, thank you, and also through Hope for Tomorrow to, to build shelters, massive shelters that were still very, very basic and they were like dormitory style with hundreds of people living in one, but it was a step up from, from what had happened. But it still felt so inadequate and I still felt that sense of, God, come on. You know, and we would take food pretty much monthly we didn't know where the money was coming from we still don't costs around between three and four thousand pounds a month and yet for the last five years almost every kind of five or six weeks god has provided to look after his children (laughs) and many of you have given generously so thank you so much because you know really we do not know and we're always saying to our friends you know we'll we, we will help you as as god provides but don't look you know i'm always saying don't look to me don't look to the white skin god is your provider and they they depend on god and they cry out to god and the money comes in and you know we're able to buy food it's incredible god loves his children and for me that's been another lesson seeing how he provides month by month you know because in a, in our kind of culture we can get caught up into this oh we created dependency and blah 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 and all of those things and I'm going to talk about a bit more about that in a minute but it's like I think it's testimony to see how God has provided that he you know we couldn't have magic that money up it's a huge amount of money for five years that amount almost every month and yet God has done it he is who he says he is amen So this continued for many years. We would preach the gospel when we would give out food and we would look out on a sea of faces that looked completely disengaged. I remember one day sharing that um, that we were engraved on the palm of God's hand and and just expounding that with the people and and just blankness coming back and just that that kind of, you know, thing in the pit of my stomach. It's like, God, when when are we going to see this change? When are we going to see people meeting with you? You know, we weren't really seeing people saved, one or or two maybe, but nothing, nothing uh, on the, obviously on the scale that we, that we dreamt of and still dream of. But then God began to speak, and uh, it's actually really interesting what's come this morning because um, I really began to feel that God was speaking through Isaiah 61, specifically for our our work in, in Burundi. It's a passage I know you'll all be very familiar with. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And I felt God gave me that passage and I felt God said to me, your work in Burundi is to live this out and you matter. Like God was saying to us this morning, all of us, it's like we can disqualify ourselves. I have disqualified myself. I'm like one of the most unconfident, insecure people that exists, I think, because I know what's going on in me. I may not come across like that, but it's like my history has been, I've always just been like, I'm nothing, I don't matter. But the truth is, actually, 
Each and every single one of us gets to represent Jesus. We are made in the image of God. And so when we're in whatever situation we find ourselves in, we get to represent Jesus. I mean, what an amazing privilege. You know, it's just like, it's incredible. And so God began to do that work in my heart as he was doing work among us. And it was, you know, taking these, taking this, every single bit of it, taking the promises in it, taking taking the, the you know, the uh, kind of, not commands, but, you know, to, to proclaim and to comfort and and to, to believe, to see people set free from the captivity, you know, the captivity of, of, uh, of bondage. And, and oppression and of poverty and you know whatever it is in in the context that we are all in and this promise that actually I felt for our friends this this thing that you know they they will be called oaks of righteousness a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor and so as we were continuing to try to offer all this crisis support there was just this um this kind of sense of of God saying, you know, to me and others that we were connected with at that point, that we we get to be Jesus. And, you know, we can't solve all of the problems, but I just remember another time of just being on my knees and just weeping before God because the need would feel so overwhelming. And, and, And God saying to me, it's really very simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love one another. And it's like, how often do we overcomplicate it? And so it's like, you know what? We, we just need to love people. And that looks, you know, what does that look like? That looks like hugging someone when you don't have the words, you know, and not trying to make it all okay, but just being there simple but profound sitting and listening to people even if we can't provide for their needs and um you know at at this point in uh in Burundi um I was desperate to be able just to go and sit with each family and talk to them but um you know I didn't know the language I still don't know it properly I know a few bits but uh, I couldn't do that on my own and I was told we don't do that in this culture we don't just go and sit with people. You know, we, not, we don't do that. It's like, this is not a cultural thing. This is the heart of God that, you know, God says he's always with us and we're not alone. And, and, I, and I can just go and sit with somebody and maybe that loneliness goes away, even if I can't speak their language. But, you know, if my heart is for them, they will, they will know something. And um, we have an outstanding young man. He's become my Burundian son. He's called Marungwa. Marungwa was at university in those days, and he would come back in the holidays. And so when I was out in Burundi and he would come back for the holidays, we would go out into our two communities, and we would just go. Um, well, they, didn't really, they still don't have homes, but we would go like family to family to family. And we're like, no, we're not doing videos today. We're not doing photos. We're just coming to be and to and to sit with you. And that was the turning point in, in that community, in both communities, actually. But because people just wanted us just to come, they wanted to know that they mattered enough that somebody would just come and sit there. And it wasn't just about being helped. And there was uh, a man in the, in the community in Chirama, his name is Jean-Marie, and uh, he said to us right at the beginning, just after we'd taken in the first lot of food, he said, um, you know, you, you are welcome among us. Come and share the word of God with us and you don't have to bring food. And it's like, wow. And, you know, and obviously, as I say, we were giving out food regularly, but not what was needed. You know, what, what we were giving people at best would, would give one meal a day. They didn't eat the rest of the time. And, you know, they would run out of food before the end of the month. And so it was still bleak. And we couldn't, you know, I couldn't solve it all. But the more that I began to realize that we're a kingdom people, that we carry Jesus, you know, and you're just like, okay, God, you you come. And, you know, when I'm putting my hand on their hand, it's like they'll know the touch of God, I pray, you know. And, it, and, it, and it's ministering to them. 
even though you just like you look at the fact they've got no homes and no water and their kids aren't in school and yet you know they they began to see that god is is real and they began to to gather for praise and and worship and the atmosphere in the community uh, began to change and uh yeah it's people not projects people not projects and then in one of our twists and turns oh has it gone to sleep again uh, the camp got destroyed by the government at no notice the government just turned up one day and burnt all the um shacks and things and arrested some of the people arrested our teacher accused him of being part of the army and all sorts of things and um and i just i i just wept because i'm like god you know what and they but they'd been dispersed and we'd been told don't contact them it's too dangerous for them if you now try and contact them we didn't know where our friends were and and i think in those kind of moments you just like actually you realize that there's been a real joining of hearts because i've literally felt like my heart had been ripped out that we wouldn't be able to to see them again but at the same time i remember <laughs> questioning god and and i remember being like oh, what was all that about god you know we supported them for all of these years and i'm not proud of this by the way but i'm just telling you what was what was in me it's like what's you know what was all that for now i mean what an attitude it's like it it wasn't about the outcome it was that opportunity that we'd had to minister who god was and and i just felt like god said to me you think you love them <laughs> whose people are they are they yours or are they mine do you trust them to me and again that deep thing in my heart of like i'm sorry god this is uh, you know that my attitude showed that it was you know i did genuinely and i do genuinely love these guys but there was that attitude in my heart that it's like we've been doing good and now it's like it's all gone to waste i mean it's horrendous isn't it you know and i say i have a heart for the poor it's like oh man we need god you know we need god to come and work in those dark places that we wish weren't there and often we don't even know are there but then in these moments where god just reveals this thing it's like it's not about me i'm only there cuz god put me there we've only been able to give food because god's provided the finance you know and yet i kind of wanted this sense of there has to be a, a nice outcome from this you know that whatever i mean it's terrible anyway repented of that and asked god to change my heart still working on all of that and for 3 months we didn't know where our friends were and then one day i'd i'd actually just gone back to burundi marungu had come back for for the uh, school hol- uh, from uni holidays and and i'd felt god had said not to go out and about into the into the community because we still had the other community we were working in but to take two days praying and we'd put a map of burundi on the floor and we'd put spread out all of our prophetic words that we'd had and and the locations that we'd been in over the years and one of them was charama and it was on the floor marungu and i just been looking at it saying God what are you saying to us about Charama is it is it all over and done and there's a bang on our gate and our guard comes and gets us and he's like it's the people of Charama they're at the gate and I'm like what <laughs> all 850 of them or however many that were at that point uh, and he, and he's like you know there's just a few so rush to the gate open the gate and there's five of our friends who had prayed that god would lead them to where my house is and had walked for like two and a half three hours being led by god because they had heard somehow i don't even know to this day how but they'd heard i was back and they wanted to come and come and find um me and and it was just like man this is incredible you know and we hugged and we cried and and I'm like how have you been surviving and and I never forget John Marie saying praise god none of us have died and he said we 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 still in charama we we asked permission of the authorities to be able to stay in partly built houses the whole load of um houses that are being built by Somali 
uh, sorry, Burundian soldiers that have been serving in Somalia and they were partly built and, and the people of Tarama had gone to the authorities and they're like, can we just stay in those? And they'd been given permission. So they'd been living rough in these houses. And I'm like, Where have, you know, how have you been eating? And I mean, they were thin. They were very thin at this point. But he, uh, and John Marie said, we've been scavenging. And in Burundi, they sell like rice and beans along the side of the roads. And, and they'd literally just been going out and gleaning what they, what they could at the end of the end of the day so we're like man so we're like okay let's get milk you know let's go back to providing the milk so we went straight to to get the milk and organize that for for the kids and uh you're not allowed to gather people in in Burundi without permission but we um we we do have permission to give out milk and so we'd given out milk and a couple of hundred people packed into you can't you can't see it there but a couple of hundred people packed into um one of these partly built houses and we worshipped and we prayed and it's like god you really have joined our hearts and uh that day um as we went to the milk uh, enterprise to arrange for milk to go for for the children we'd sat with the the people that had come to the gate and um, we'd just been talking with them, and God put um, put really in my heart to share with them Psalm 113, which expresses God's heart for the poor. And I had recently been in a context with Steve where you had shared on this, as you often do, and it profoundly affected me. And I just felt really prompted to um, to share with the guys, do you know how God sees you? You know, living in... No, no proper homes, scavenging for food, and um, yeah, actually, how does God see them? And you know, in that um, that verse, verses seven to nine, He raises the poor. Um, oh, he raises the poor from the dust, and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, the princes of His people. And this was so, is still so literal for our community who are literally living in the dust and mud. Some, depending on which of the partly built houses they're in, depends on whether they have shelter or not. You know, no furniture or, you know, a few cooking pots and it's horrendous. And yet, what is God saying? And I just, I remember again thinking, God, I don't know if I can, if I can say this to, to these guys, because who am I? I've got a house and I have food and I have shelter and I know that I'm going to be dry tonight. And, and, and yet you're, you're speaking. And I remember very tentatively initially just sharing with our, our leaders from this and, and saying, and saying, you need to stop seeing yourselves as victims and, and sharing with them some of the promises that we've had over the years of, of, of God raising people up that are going to model things to other nations and saying to our friends, it's you guys. It's not me. It's you guys. God wants to raise you up and bring transformation through you, bring his kingdom through, through you, put you at the forefront of what he's doing. This is your nation. I always question, like, God, why did you send this white woman to Burundi? It's kind of crazy, really. But, you know, for them, that even though they felt like the lowest of the low of the low, and people would literally, I mean, people would spit at them as they went past. They were utterly despised and rejected and yet that afternoon, as, as the truth of God came, they, they began to weep in, in the room. Uh, and, and, they, and they began to repent of, of how they'd seen themselves. And they started to see themselves differently from that moment. It was one of the defining moments in, in the whole journey because it was like, you know, that moment of revelation where they're like, you know, these may be our circumstances, but this is not how God sees us. And this is a challenge to me because it's like, you know, when we see our friends in those circumstances or whatever circumstances we, we are, where whoever we're connected with in life, it's like, are we judging them? based on the circumstances that they are in now? Or are we seeing them as God sees them? And are we, are, we, are we speaking truth to people, even when, to be honest, it feels a bit trite at times. That's how I felt. It's like, as I say, I don't know if I can authentically say this. I might have to. But it's the word of God. Of course, it's truth. And, but seeing the, the truth of God 
of how God sees them, how God sees us, begin to transform them. And so from that day, things began to be very, very different because their mindset had shifted, even though their circumstances were still um, pitiful. And, I mean, families... um, we started to help families with rent for um, a house, which when I say a house is often a single mud hut room, just one room, like probably smaller than your bathroom, like, you know, kind of three metres by three metres and you have a whole family living in there. They're still, they're still in these conditions now. Um, and yeah, it's dire. And yet there's change coming you know, that people are beginning to see that and know that they are loved by God and that there is hope because of the truth of the word of God and, um, yeah, what God is doing among them. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, and I saw Mike nodding there. Mike Irving um, has uh, given himself to come and help us in Burundi and came out early, earlier this year and and I know was impacted by the sense of hope and joy in the, in the community. God is at work, and, it, and it's because of who God is. Um, so, where are we? Yeah, just some of our, our families. That lady there, Esperance, she had nine children. One child died. Her husband left her. She had newborn, newborn twins, and, you know, just nothing. It's like, and yet she just radiates God. You know, she's met with God. She's encountered Jesus, and... You know, she's, yeah, she, she is testimony that God really is who he says he is. So, one of our visits in the community, we love to visit our friends, as I say, just go and sit with them in wherever they're staying. And there was one particular day that we were, um, we'd met with our leaders and, uh, and they said, they told us that three people had died and and I was kind of shocked that they were quite matter of fact about it and and I and I said to them this is terrible you know like what's why have they died and it was you know, malnutrition and wanted to have malaria etc and want to be a child and and they said it's just how it is it's just how it is and something rose up within me and I'm like no this is not God's heart this is not okay and we have this part to play in whatever injustice or whatever it is that, that we, we see around us to say, no, it's not okay. And for them to, to, to know, it's not okay. You do not have to accept this as your future. This is not God's best for you. And, and just before this, I'd remembered praying a prayer and I'd like, been like, God, would you help me to see with your eyes and, and then kind of regretting that I'd prayed that because it ripped at my heart, you know, as we, as we went and, and, and sat in these homes. And, I mean, we, do, you know, do this all, sorry, a lot, you know. And every time I, I go into one of these homes, it shocks me, even though I've done it hundreds of times. And I'm like, God, don't ever let me get to the point where I'm not shocked anymore. You know, I don't want my heart to become just like, oh, this is how it is here. This is Burundi. It's one of the poorest nations in the world. What do you expect? It's like, no, that is not God's heart. God's heart is not to leave people where they are. And um, I really began to feel that God just began to speak to me again of, of seeing people as made in his image you know that we are made in his image and obviously all of us as human beings made in the image of God wow amazing and teaching that to to our friends and it's like you're made in the image of God you know even you know these dire situations but your hope and your joy you radiate who God is how amazing what a testimony I mean they are phenomenal they are the most inspirational group of people that I have ever come across and I often say to them you know you think we might be helping you because we we send food but actually what they teach us what the poor can teach us about dependence on on God and taking God at his word and um and really as I say you know crying out to him um Sorry, just this is a slight side, but it really impacted me. Recently, Steve sent round a message about the drought in South Africa and said, um, you know, could we pray? 
And um, we were gathering secretly at that point our, our church community and, and shared with them that they know that they've had food, you know, money for food and things that have come from friends around the world and they often ask about their friends. And, and we said, okay, now you need to, to pray for your friends in, in South Africa who are in this drought. And literally they wept as they prayed. You know, and I'm like... Do I weep as I pray sometimes? But not very often, to be honest. And it just really challenged me. And it's like, they know how to get before God, you know? They have so much to teach us. And yet so often we can think that we're the ones that are doing the good, you know? It's like, no. And again, at this time, as we were going around these homes and I was saying to our friends, no, this is not okay. This is not God's heart for you. It's like, now what? So what do we do now? You know, we're sending food, we're sending milk. Do we now try and help with accommodation? And I just felt this, you know, this verse that we all know. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And again, why do we tie ourselves in knots with... Do we help? What if we're creating dependency? And I know we need wisdom. I'm not saying we don't need wisdom. And we need to be biblical in how we respond. But actually, so often we just pass this over. And yet, you know, to whoever we're ministering around us, if, and this is what I felt this day as we walked around the community, I'm like, if Jesus was sitting there in the mud, I wouldn't just walk by. You wouldn't, would you, if it was Jesus? And yet, so often we'll just walk by those in the street or whatever you know I do it now even now it's like but do we really believe that when we're when we're doing whatever we're doing that it's you know as if we were doing it for Jesus because if we do it's going to change what we do and it's going to change how we do it so um anyway um through all of this, amazingly, our friends came to us uh, about three years ago now, I guess, in the midst of all of this, and they said, we want to start a church, will you help us? And we're like, man, we've been trying to plant a church for years and hadn't really got anywhere. And then it's like, isn't it amazing, when we start to seek first the kingdom, it was the Bible say Jesus will build his church. And we began to see this church emerging and... Um, but I remember saying to, to, our, to our friends, again, we were meeting with the, the, the group that had become our kind of leaders in the community. And when they said it to us, I just, I just said to them, you know, why are you, why are you, ask, why are you asking us? And they're like, because we see something different in you. No, this isn't just to me, by the way. This was to a group of us. But they're, they're like, we see something different in you. You love us, number one. You do what you say. And you don't twist the word of God. And I'm like, man, the the power of authenticity. You know, and again, this thing of loving people. It's people, not projects. People, not projects. And they'd seen that. And I just remember thinking for all my failures and everything else and all the stuff that we've not yet been able to do and we want to do and always feeling so inadequate, it's like I'm actually really happy that we're known for loving them and that they know that. You know, if nothing else, if we can't ever provide food again, they know that they're loved. And that, that, that was a really kind of humbling um, moment. Right, I need to move on. Um, so, uh, the government then stopped us meeting and brought in new laws that churches couldn't just, couldn't just gather people, you couldn't, have, you couldn't meet in homes, you couldn't meet for prayer meetings. Um, and so we did church and still do do church on the field as we're teaching um, foundations for farming, which is a way of farming based on godly principles. I won't go into that today. Beginning to see people healed, saved, and delivered on the field side, literally. One lady, we had one lady that was um, started manifesting a demon at the, at the training. And so our guys, you know, guys, Morongwa and Co, just go off and, and pray with her. Uh, she's delivered, she's saved, she's healed physically, and she's baptized with the Holy Spirit all in one morning. And it's like, woo! <laughs> 
it feels a little bit like the New Testament sometimes, just sometimes. So anyway, so we, uh, we've now seen over a hundred people saved uh, in this community in the, in the last year or so, which is amazing. But also amazing is, as I say, the transformation that's going on. Okay, I'm just going to skip talking about the, the farming. Um, and I'm going to go on to this photo because this is really where I want us to land today. So I'm sharing what I'm going to share now with the permission of our team because it feels like I'm going to expose people. But um, when, I, when I went to Burundi last uh, visit before, before Christmas, um, I felt God had said that um, he wanted to do heart surgery on us as a, as a team. And, uh, and I'd shared that with the team. We'd had a whole team day, as we often do, and, you know, just looking at the word of God. And I felt it was in relation to embracing the poor and had, um, had shared that with them. And then, seemingly, it had been a very positive day and everybody was, you know, I'd given everybody a heart. And I'm like, write down on here the things today as we talk, as we pray together, as we pray for one another. What are the things that God's showing us? And uh, people were scribbling away. So there I am thinking, oh, this is, you know, this is good. God's at work and God's doing stuff. And then we finish. And then um, one of our team who I say, he's given me full permission to share this. He says, please share about my heart surgery on a message that I, I got just a few days ago when I'm like, can I share this? And um, so Albert, um, Albert says, start saying to me that, um, he's like, you know, Don, I, I just want to make some, some comments. And um, basically he said, I'm, I'm kind of done here because I, I don't like who, who um, you know, some of our leaders are. They shouldn't be leading and then proceeded to go on for a couple of hours with discussion with the rest of the team about the problems that there were in Chirama and it wasn't all okay and um, that, you know, it was fine for um, our leaders to be farming. But that's all they could be. They couldn't be more than that. They couldn't be leaders among us, part of our leadership team. They're good at farming. Let them do the farming. And, and he said to me, I'm done. He said, I, I'm done. He said, if they're, if they're going to be leaders with us, I'm, I'm not. I'm going. And I was mortified, as you can imagine. I was shocked. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what? You know, this is just, this is terrible. And he told us about the reason this picture's up is because there'd been an incident where we'd been labelling up all the hoes for the new season, 200 new trainees in farming. And on the day that we'd done this labelling up, some of the hoes had gone missing. And uh, the couple on our team, Albert and Jocelyn, had accused our leaders, um, Jean-Marie and Isaiah, of stealing the hose. And this, as you can imagine, had caused a major, you know, major kind of thing. Because we'd, you know, as I've just shared with you, we kind of thought we were in a good place. And, you know, we could see we got a long way to go. But it was like God was at work. We were seeing people saved and changed and, and everything. And so when this thing kind of blew up, it's like, what's gone on? How come our, our team, um, who are here, our, our team, can be like this towards um, our, our friends, um, Jean-Marie and Isaiah are kind of leading couple, exceptional couple of guys from the Chirama community who have just served the community and us. And um, so anyway, cut a long story short, Marungwa and I set about doing a whole load of investigations. There were all these accusations being made. They were saying to me, you don't understand, Donna. Jean-Marie is going to come with a gun and he's going to shoot us. And, you know, saying that this person was frightened of him. And, and I'm like, what? Where has this come from? And I'm like, have I, am I just a really bad judge of character? Have I missed something? And so, um, anyway, so it's just like, you know, I got Albert to say to me, um, tell me who your problem is with. You know, and, and I'm like, I have to hear this. I don't want to miss it. But then began to investigate over the next couple of weeks, hours and hours and hours, Marungwa and I sitting with... Um, you know, Albert and Jocelyn to try and understand what was going on, the person who was supposedly frightened of him, you know, to go and sit with him and say, is there any foundation to this? Because I just was struggling to, to believe it. And went to then to, to Jean-Marie and Isaiah and sat with them and, and said, you know, can you tell us what's going on here? And they're like, actually, we don't want Albert and Jocelyn in, in the community anymore because they're doing harm. 
And we know that you love us, but we don't really know that they love us. And I'm like, man, we're so shallow here, you know? It's just like in the very heart of our team, we've got this massive um, division. And so, um, you know, we tried to get them to reconcile. And at that point, there was just complete hard-heartedness. And I'm like, God, are we done here? You know, that we don't have what we think because actually our hearts are in this place where in, even in our, in our key leadership team, there's mistrust, there's been accusations, there's been lies told. Um, and there's been this sense of keeping people down. Now, this couple, Alba and Jocelyn, they're a phenomenal couple in many ways. believe God brought them to us and they've done many things in the nation to do good. But yeah, it was them that were being really hard-hearted and, and had said, you know, we, we don't want Jean-Marie to be a leader. And we're busy trying to see leaders raised up. And they're like, no, he can only do farming. And, you know, just when you look at that situation, it, again, it's like in, in my own heart, it's like, God, are we really empowering people? Are we really believing that... Um, you know, you, the, the, what we say, that we want the poor caught up on mission with us. Do we really believe that? And will we do what we can do to see that happen? Or is it just a nice thing that we have in our, in our values? You know, because even on our own team, who love our values and will often talk about them, there was this sense of, you know, I mean, talk about, they're always saying, oh, we love being there for one another's success. It's like, are you, you know, Albert, are you being there for Jean-Marie's success right now when you're just like, no, he can never be a leader? And, you know, because he would treat people a bit harshly. Well, that's because he's been in a context that has never modeled or taught grace. He doesn't know grace in his own life. That's a discipleship issue. That's a learning thing. It doesn't mean that he can't lead. You know, if God's, I know not every, you know, it's, I do believe he's called to to lead. I believe God spoke to me about him at that first day when he said, you know, you're welcome here. And so this heart surgery suddenly became like we'd been cut open and very exposed. And in the process of dealing with this or trying to deal with it, going into the community and sitting with Jean-Marie and and Isaiah and trying to work out what had had gone on and trying to work out how we were going to get reconciliation... Um, Isaiah was talking and he just made a throwaway comment. He wasn't complaining. And he said, but we respect you and you're above us. And you're like, God, what have we done? (laughs) That we love these guys so much and yet somehow we have communicated to them that they are lower than us. You know, that's not my heart, really, but somewhere it's in my heart that's, that needed and needs still surgery, open heart surgery, because, you know, we've been in the position of those helping, and very subtly maybe that gives us a kind of a power thing, you know? We're the ones that are helping, even if we're still loving. You know, they're like, we know you love us, you know, but it's like, we're lower than you, and it's like, no. And so we got out our Bibles, and, and, and I'm like, no, this, you know, I, obviously I'm like, I'm so sorry, what have we done? Tell me what I've done that has made you think this. You know, tell us, we need to change. I'm so sorry, I asked for their forgiveness, and then we looked at scripture together. Just want to read this we all know this from 1 Corinthians 12:14 onwards now the body is not made up of one part but many if the foot should say because i'm not a hand i do not belong to the body it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body and if the ear should say because i am not an eye i do not belong to the body it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. 
And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And, um, you know, as Joseph was bringing to us this morning, I'm like, this is for us and this is for all of those who are, well, all of us, isn't it? You know, but it's like how we see those that we consider poor or marginalised or whatever, the weaker ones. You know, who do we think of when we think of the weaker ones? And do we really believe that they are indispensable? And if we see ourselves as the weaker ones, that I don't matter and I've got nothing to offer, as we were hearing again this morning, the truth is we are indispensable. That's a strong word. And so we, we shared this with our friends and we shared the, the scriptures that talk about God not having favourites. And, and, um, and, and it was like they sat up on the inside that afternoon, Jean-Marie and Isaiah. And, uh, and, and it was like, again, that moment where we shared Psalm 113, those years before where they suddenly began to see themselves differently. And with all the emotion that was going on and everything in, in our in our hearts, it was like just this phenomenal moment of, of revelation. And uh, basically, um, as we... Sorry, I'm conscious of time. I'm going to draw to a close. But as, as Marunga and I were in the process of trying to deal with all of this stuff with our team and, and, and Jean-Marie and Isaiah, um, I'd been battling for a few months with... Why do John, Marie, and Isaiah not join us on our team days? We wouldn't be in those communities if it wasn't for them. We wouldn't be there. You know, they're the ones that are hands-on with the community. We send food. They spend three days sorting it out into sacks of maize and, you know, beans for all of the families. They're the ones that are there for the milk distribution. And, and it's like this sense of we wouldn't be there if it wasn't for them. Why are they not with us? And I've been battling in my own mind. And again, I'm not proud of this, but this is what was going on in my head. Well, if they come to my house, it's going to emphasize that they're really poor and we're really rich. And I'd said to the team a few months back, I'm like, I'm just feeling like, should we have Jean-Marie and Isaiah with us? And uh, somebody on the team would like, no, no, because we can't talk the same in front of them if they're here. And I'd, I'd be like, oh, okay, you know. But inside I was like, this just isn't feeling right, but I didn't stand up to it. It was just like terrible. But anyway, God, in his grace and in his mercy, has, has brought us round. And so Marunga and I were saying, you know what? We have our team for dinner. When we have team days, we have a team lunch at our house. We eat Burundian food. We eat with our hands. It's great fun. And we wanted to have Jean-Marie and Isaiah there with us. We really felt that we should. But obviously, this is in the middle of all of this stuff that's erupted on the team. It's like, we can hardly do it now. It's going to be like, you know, it's going to make things worse. And, and so Marunga and I were like, you know what? Actually, we've kind of been showing favoritism. And, and the Bible is actually really strong on not showing favoritism. And, you know, the more I've looked at this since this incident, it's like, gosh, I don't know if I've ever really let this sink in. And we're, we're going to end with that in a minute. But um, so Marunga and I decided that because we couldn't bring them, John Marie and Isaiah straight into the team at that moment because we had kind of people on opposite ends of the, you know, we're not going to meet with them or everything. It was terrible. We're like, let's just, let's just invite Jean-Marie and Isaiah for lunch at our house. And we didn't even tell the rest of the team. And so we went and we met with them and we invited them and their faces, their mouths literally were like, you would invite us? And again, it's another one of those moments. It's like, oh my gosh, the fact that they thought that we never would. And the very first thing Isaiah said was, now we know we are truly together. And then Jean-Marie said... We belong. And it's like we invited them for lunch. But, you know, they, in that moment, after year, six years of knowing them, it took a lunch invite for them to say, we really are together 
and we really do belong. And, and I just wanted to bring that challenge to us today. I'm still challenged with it myself, that I'm thankful to God that God intervened as we then met with Alba and Jocelyn again and, and, and just shared God's heart, shared from the scriptures, looked at the scriptures together and Jocelyn suddenly turned around and she said, oh, I realise I've been helping people because it makes me feel better. It's like, ah. Oh. We're on our way to getting, you know, further on in, in, in where the heart of God is. And, and she was shocked. And Albert's like, oh, you know, he could see that actually he'd been kind of oppressing Jean-Marie. Because it's like, he can do farming, but no more. It's like, we, you know, we're saying we're here to empower people, to see people raised up, caught up on mission with us. And yet he recognized. And so, I mean, he said in that moment, he's like, I'm having heart surgery. You know, and that's where he said, he said, please share my my heart surgery because God is doing this it's still ongoing there's still stuff being worked out but praise God everybody has reconciled together and uh and now you know Jean-Marie and and Isaiah are uh, much more integrated into into our team and this I go back next week and and when I'm back we we have already said that we're going to have a a team day with with them with us and all lunch together for the first time it's taken us six years to get there so I um, we I just want to say we shared with our community do you know how valuable you are on the back of all of this stuff and as I was just putting this presentation together I just felt I needed to put in this slide that Yes, God's after our hearts today. I do believe he wants to do a work in our hearts of how we see the poor and the marginalized, but also work in our hearts of how we see ourselves, and that's already come out this morning. Do you know how valuable you are? When we spoke on that with our friends as we gathered for church, we, it was like we've never had a meeting like it, really, where people just responded at the end and then ending in this incredible time of, of praise where, where there was just this ongoing understanding of, wow, I matter, I'm, I am valuable to God, you know, just because of who I am. I'm a child of God, I matter. Um, that's our, that was our City Gate Church greeting you all. <laughs> um, and then, I'm not going to speak into this, but um, I felt God wanted to provoke us with, James 2, so I'm going to draw to a close. I'm just going to read this and then let God do what he, he wants to do. Yeah, would you like to stand? Thanks. Yeah. I'm reading from the NIV and the heading of chapter 2 is favoritism forbidden my brothers as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ don't show favoritism suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say here's a good seat for you but say to the poor man you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. God... Would you forgive us? Father, would you forgive us that we don't see people as you do? We don't see ourselves as you do. Lord, I want to ask that you would come and do a work in our hearts today. Lord, we want that open heart surgery. Lord, we want our hearts open to you. Lord, we want to take hold of, of this, Lord God. 
We want it to affect our time and our outlook and our finances and everything about us, Lord God. Show us when we are showing favoritism, Lord. Yeah, it's going to make us uncomfortable, but Lord, we don't want to be We don't want to be comfortable, Lord, with living how we've lived, Lord. We don't want to be comfortable oppressing the poor even though we don't mean to, Lord. We don't want to be comfortable with making people feel that they they don't belong or that they're lower than us. God, come and work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, just come. Pray, Lord God. Just come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Show us, Lord. Shine your light into those dark areas of our hearts, Lord, where we've got prejudices, Lord, where we, for whatever reason, Lord, where we just walk by and change us, Lord, that you would make us more like you, Lord God. That we would speak up on behalf of those that have no voice, Lord God. That we would be, that we would be, Lord, that we would be living out truth and not just speaking it, Lord. Lord, we want to be authentic. Lord, may we be known for, for loving people as you love them, Lord. And seeing them as you see them, Lord God. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.